about something called a new life. And I'm going to put it in a little bit different uh, perspective. What it would be like as the church started for the very first time. The political scene around them was kind of like the politics is now. They were trying to destroy religion, and religion was trying to destroy the politics. And the people were trying to get rid of the new Christian church because it was a threat to them, because it was a threat to their way of life. And it was not something conducive to some of the people that were in leadership in the, uh, in the ceremonies of the sanctuary. And this time of year is kind of a reminder of that because all of this happened right around now. Uh, Passover is about ready to begin, and um, I'm just reminded every spring of what was going on around the time Jesus was going to pay the ultimate price for my sin and for your sin. A new life is something that many of us, we love to see. When you see a baby, everybody goes what? Ah. Uh, because it is something precious and new and it is wonderful. And it's something that we all like to see. No matter how, you know, even if you don't want to touch a baby because you're afraid of it or you don't want to change its diaper or whatever, it's still, it's an awe moment because we know that this is an innocent life that is starting. And the church during this time is kind of like that. And it had to start really quick and grow up really quick. So let's bow our heads as we open the scripture today and see what God has to say to us. Father in heaven, I pray that you will keep my mind clear on what you want me to say today. Dear Father, I pray also that as I have come before your throne many times this week, asking you to clear my mind up so I may focus on what you want to say. I pray, dear Father, that if you have something to say to someone's heart, that you will do that in spite of the words I say today. And dear Father, I pray that you will be with us as we start this, this new time of year with the expectation that spring is right here. In Jesus' name, amen. I was planning a, um, a joke because it is, you know, April Fool's. I even worked with one of our professionals uh, in the church, Denny Linder, and uh, we decided that maybe that the weather outside has actually done the April Fool's for us. And last night, it, uh, it tried to blow some of you away. Uh, it tried to suck some people up, and it, then it snowed on us all in one. I think we had three or four seasons all in one night. But um, anyhow, I, I said that maybe, maybe I wouldn't do an April Fool's because I think today, it, it's, it's a wonderful time of year. I love spring, um, but I, I, I will forego the April Fool's joke this year. Today, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to start with verse 43, and I'm just going to kind of go through that first little bit. <clears throat> and I'm not going to use any version. I'm actually going to do what they call transliteration. I went to the Greek and actually looked up and see what it said. Um, if I did it actually the way it said, you wouldn't make heads or tail of it because their verbs and their nouns are switched back and forth. And uh, it's all over the place, so I put it in order how it's supposed to be, but it's transliterated. That means word for word in the best way I could do it. So then a sense of awe came over everyone, and the apostles did many signs and wonders. This is kind of a linear translation also. Can you imagine what it would be like for them? They came with a sense of awe, every single one of them, and the apostles did many signs and wonders. What does your Bible say? The first one. 
They were all in one accord. What's interesting about the one accord is it's the same word basically as awe. They're all there going, ah, the baby's there, or ah. It's interesting that when we look at the language and we understand what it means, the arrival of the Holy Spirit had been done at the beginning of this chapter. When he came, it came as a rushing wind, and these things came over their heads, and then they started speaking to the people, and then Peter has that sermon, and then all of a sudden, here we are. Here we are in the first part of Acts, chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit further because I think it's very important. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's not where I'm starting. I'm starting verse 43. My mistake here. Then fear came upon every soul. That's 243. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I had you in chapter one. That's probably why everything was kind of messed up, wasn't it? Fear. How many of you have a negative thought when you hear that? I did this week. Fear. But like I said, it's actually the word awe. How many of you have ever seen a waterfall that thunders when it's down at the bottom and you walk up to it? What do you have a feeling when that thundering is happening right beside you? What do you feel? Whoa. Or when you hear thunder because the lightning was just down the street from your house and it goes crack and then it goes boom and your house goes Brrr. How do you feel? Some of you are fearful. <laughs> How many of you go to the base? No, don't answer that question. Go to the basement when you see that. How many of you go actually look out the window when you see that? There are some of you like, yeah. But awe is something that you can't really describe but it's kind of a respect, it's kind of a wow, it's kind of a I want to stay here, this is awesome kind of event. So in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 43, not verse 1, because the day of Pentecost has already come, Peter's already preached his sermon, people have been speaking in tongues and sh sharing with people that you can have this salvation too if you want it, all of a sudden, right afterward, church growth. Many others, they, had testimi they testified and exhorted them in verse 40, saying, Be saved for this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and the day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and prayers. Then verse 43, like we already read, Then fear came upon every soul with respect and wow. Many wise signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who were believed together and all things were in common, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone needed. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of the heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So if you start with a new life, what happens? you just stay there as a baby and go, ah. No, it says that they steadfastly started following the teachings of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus were actually 
amplified by the Holy Spirit coming and saying, listen, I'm going to remind you of all the things that you've learned already, and I'm going to take it to the next level. And all of a sudden, signs and wonders started happening. How many of you would get caught up in the signs and wonders? I would. <laughs> like, whoa, that is so cool. Look, he just healed somebody. That, he hasn't used that arm in 20 years. That is amazing. Look at that. It's like moving and everything. And praise Jesus, and we would be in the moment. But the problem was that people were so concentrated on maybe the signs and wonders, they forgot all about that, ooh, we can feel excited, but then what? How many of you have ever come to a point where you feel like you can't grow anymore? Some of you work for companies, and you kind of come to a point, and you're like, this company's not allowing me to grow anymore. What do you usually do? Yeah, you move and go to another place. Or you're like, eh, it's a job. <laughs> But if you're a young person and you're rebirthed into a new movement like this young church, all of a sudden you're stricken with something that may not be comfortable. You see all the signs and wonders and you're in awe and you love everything that's going on. But when this takes place, after the preaching, there's a resurgence or a rebirth, a new life. After the teacher has gone away, the Messiah, the Savior, has left with a promise to return. Can you feel the excitement? He's going to come back. When is the expectation that Jesus is coming back at this point? Soon. How many years has it been? At least 2,000. That's a long soon. But we still have the excitement in our hearts if we know that God said something and he really means it. As we're coming up on this time of year, the story of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, it starts with us again. It's that pause in life just before everything breaks out in leaves and flowers and everything else when the grass is turning green. And yes, the thunderstorms and the tornadoes come in Wisconsin. But it's that time of year where we think of new life. What would it take for you to think about the new life? It's interesting to me that when we look at a baby and we see new life, we're like, that is wonderful, and I hope that that baby stays a baby the rest of their life, right? What's the expectation? Parents, what's the expectation? I'm going to make sure that that child turns out better than me. Mom, you're like, I hope they stay young the rest of their life. <laughs> but no, even mom's like, I want them to be the best person they could be, and even better than me. I'm going to give them every tool that they have. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that they have everything that they need. What would be the difference between us as a church having new members in Jesus and a baby that's growing up? Nothing. We want the best for people. But at what point do you stop growing? And that's a rhetorical question because really we don't ever stop growing. The time we stop growing is death. Death. The day we stop learning is death because we learn from everything that's going on around us. New life. What a wonderful time. What did I do with that clicker? There it is. Can you imagine being in this upper room planning and strategizing as a close-knit group, 
all you are together and you're trying to figure out what to do after the Holy Spirit comes, after you see that Peter's preached a sermon and things come out of your mouth, you've been speaking a language that you never were taught, but people are understanding you in their native language and they're like, oh, praise Jesus, I am learning who this man is. And after that, all of a sudden people are like, I want to follow Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, and they're from all over the world and you're like, oh, no. Or, oh, yes. We've got to plan something. The new life that all these people have is scary and it's wonderful and it's, it's wild at the same time because Jesus has already trained the disciples to go out two by two. He's already trained them how to become organizers of new churches. Every single one of them had to leave something that I don't like to leave. How many of you like to leave your comfort zone? No, no. But if you come out of your comfort zone, the Holy Spirit comes at this point and compels you to do something different. When you first heard the message, are you that same person that you were when you met Jesus? If you're the same person exactly that when you met Jesus, you have changed nothing, I implore you to look at Jesus and say, do I need to change? Because the world we live in says, you're fine how you are, don't change. But Jesus says, you know what? I have plans for you. I want you to become something much more grand than you are now, but I am not going to force you. In fact, when you look at the disciples and all the apostles that started following Jesus, it said they voluntarily sold their possessions. It didn't say, if you become a Christian, you must get rid of everything and live in a commune. That's not what happened under voluntary actions. That's how God works. It's the most wonderful thing and the most exasperating thing because if it's voluntary, it's only of our goodwill that we give to God. Conviction. When we come into contact with God, we have this feeling of awe. But all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's something called conviction because he remembers all the things we've ever done I mean, he's taught, and he says, the things that you've done don't quite line up with this. I want you to change a little bit, and I want you to become a better person because I don't want you to just be who you are right now. I want you to change because I love you so much. It's not a salvation thing, but it is a relationship thing. If in a relationship you never change, there's something wrong because if you love the other person, there are things that you need to change that rub the other person totally wrong. If you don't believe me, just ask them and then stand back. <laughs> it makes you in awe to start a new life because let's be honest with ourselves today. If we never grow as a person in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, what's going to move us? If we see our life and compare it to Jesus, the deceiver will whisper in your ear, you can't do it. You can't do it. That's perfectionism. You can't do it because God doesn't love you. You can't do it because you're not able to. You're a weakling. And then God says, I have given every power that I have given the disciples and the apostles for you to overcome. All you have to do is try. Doesn't say succeed. Doesn't say succeed everywhere in the Bible. It says try. And when you're trying, I will send the Holy Spirit to you and those voices that are telling you, you're inadequate. Be like, hey, be quiet. 
They're my son. They're my daughter. Their trying is good enough for me. And then when we have that conviction and we hear that from God and we're like, oh, that's wonderful, we all of a sudden start to do something that is wild. We surrender to God. And some of us have never surrendered to God. I can attest to you that myself, when I was a young person, never surrendered to God. I knew all the things. I walked the walk. I talked the talk. But I didn't let it in my heart and my mind. There are some of you here today who have never let Jesus beyond just your thoughts, not into your life. I know because I was there. But I want to encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit and his urgings and say, okay, I surrender. I surrender. Well, what comes after surrender? Well, once I've surrendered everything and God calls me an apostle and says, you need to go out, whew, I share. How many of you, when you're told that there is a loved one that just had a child, how many of you on whatever social media you have all of a sudden go, my so-and-so just had a baby, yahoo! <laughs> it's the same for a church too. It's the same for our church. As we look and we see when, when people come into the church, we're like, woohoo, this is great because we've had the conviction ourselves, we've had the surrender ourselves, and as we share, the babes in Christ, when they hear about Jesus and they feel compelled to come to God because he's wonderful, everything we share as a church is Jesus-centered. And if it's not, we need to reanalyze. We need to reanalyze because if it's not Jesus-centered, we're in trouble. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Yes, Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6. Now I'm going to start with verse 5. And for those of you who are new to this kind of Old Testament stuff, the word shall is you will. And it's not a you will or else. It's a you will because of this text. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And the words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. You will talk to them. And when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you will bind them as signs on your hands and you will be as frontlets between your, eye, your eyes, you shall write them in the doorposts in your house and on your gates. Now, there are people that have done this literally. You will find people in the world that have actually done this literally. Uh, on their posts, there are scripture as they come into their house. There are people that have scripture in little boxes right here and or right here, and they have them around here. There are people that literally do that. That's not a bad thing. However, what it's talking about is no matter what you're doing when you're talking about God, we don't just talk. We exemplify it. So if you talk about something and you don't exemplify it, let me tell you, a teenager will call you on it because they're like, you don't do it. How do I know this? I plead the fifth. <laughs> it's interesting to me that as we grow up in the faith, that if we don't live it, the people around us will remind us of it. Not sometimes as a, I told you so, but as a, you're teaching it, why aren't you living it kind of thing. 
And they have a valid, valid point there because if I'm not living what I preach, why am I even preaching it in the first place? It's not something I should be doing. So when Jesus, we look at the things that he taught and that he preached, he lived every single one of them. In fact, he lived one to the point where they killed him because he didn't agree with what their ideology was at the time. He didn't fit their religiosity at the time. They didn't fit their political movement at that time. And they killed him because they were jealous and angry at him. This time of year, we're reminded that a lot, but that's not the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected. The purpose is that it takes away the sins of the world. He came to redeem us, to purchase us, to make sure that we are going to be part of his kingdom and his children. But we make it sometimes about something it's not. And that's about the terrible crucifixion it was or the terrible this or the people were awful. It's about Jesus. It's about him and what he did for us. So if we know that, it's going to be something that we teach with every bit of us who we are. Our children are going to know it because we're living it. And you're like, I made a mistake and my children are grown. Don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit is the one that interprets. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb. I know there's a young man that, uh, well, he's not young anymore because he's my age. But uh, anyhow, we wrote a song together. And um, the song is entitled, Sing For Me talks about the Holy Spirit singing before the throne of God. And as he sings the, before the throne of God, he has to interpret for me because sometimes I'm like, God, ah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there before. It's not only in the bad times, it's even in the good times. It's like when you're beside that thundering um, waterfall, you're like, God, oh, oh. And he's like, I know, it's cool. <laughs> but you're like, I'm speechless. And the Holy Spirit takes that speechless whatever we are at the time and says, don't worry, I got you covered. I'll sing it before the heavenly throne. And we were kind of mulling that over because we felt broken, both of us. We felt totally at the point where we didn't know what to do except for just go, ha ha, God, here. And he took it and made it into a song. I hope to get him here someday because I think that song would really, really be beneficial to you. But Jesus, as he's on the cross, I think, sang that same kind of song. He asked the Holy Spirit at the time when he was dying, please come and forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that day there were converts because they had conviction, because they surrendered. And the only next thing they had to do was share. You see one of the soldiers, remember what he said? He had surrendered to Jesus. You can tell. He goes, truly this was what? The Son of Man, the Son of God. When we see Jesus on the cross, I don't want you to see pain and suffering. I want you to see redemption. I want you to see the heart of God that he went through this, not just to say he went through it, but to say, come, I've got it covered. No matter where you're at, no matter what kind of things that you think that you have experienced and you don't have any control over life right now, come because I have it covered. And if I have it covered, believe me, I'm going to make sure that you will not die that second death. What was it like to, Jesus, what was it like to know Jesus that day and see him on the cross? What was it like to see him and go, whoa, oh, this is a wonderful, this is a horrible thing. I can't believe it. Our teacher is dying he promised a kingdom he promised a future 
the scriptures that he had all point to him being the Messiah. Why is he dying? Total abandonment by most. But the sacrifice of the lamb and the festivals that played out in front of them every single year, they did not see what was going on because I don't think they had totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Everything that was new and exciting in Acts, every tradition and every practice came to life now because all of a sudden they were like, oh, that's what Jesus died for. Oh, that's what he said this for at this part of his ministry. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brought things to their minds. They started remembering what was going on and be like, Jesus did this? That's exactly what he was supposed to do for this festival. It's all pointing to the resurrection and the soon return of Jesus. Praise God, he's coming back soon. A new life following Jesus is a new life that is expecting that the Messiah will come back again. The early church was called the way. If you don't believe me, go into the in Acts and look. There's capital W-A-Y. It, it was called the way because they were kind of moving that way. The church, um, the message of life that they had spread so fast. How many of you have ever spread a rumor? Oh, maybe I better not ask that question. <laughs> the internet's pretty quick these days. <laughs> but how many of you have ever spread something that was wonderful, it was great, and then you found out it was wrong? I've done that. I found out it was wrong. Not because the internet said it was wrong either, but because I actually talked to the people and they're like, it's wrong. <laughs> now I've got to tell everybody it's wrong. But how many of you have spread something that's right and it's a wonderful thing? I won't ask the other question because I know as Christians we do not spread gossip. We do not talk negatively about other people. We just don't do that. Um, at least we should not because it's one of the things in the Bible that says if you do that, there's consequences, and those consequences are usually the people that do them. Not God going, Zzzt, but it hurts you because you have a negative outlook on other people. If you want to talk about people and you want to do gossip, please gossip on the positive side. No matter if they're your worst enemy or not, because if you find out that your worst enemy has some good point, points to them, that means you're bad. So I was like, oh, no. I can't talk negative about people. We gotta talk positively because God created them too. I've said it before, but the task of starting a movement and to start a church, the new way of life that was hopeful, um, it was projecting uh, eternal life. It was inclusive, but not political in nature because the word inclusive now is really not inclusive. Just cross somebody and just see if they're inclusive. Tell them that you don't agree with them. And uh, I'm talking about some of us Christians tell a Christian that they're wrong and you might get your head ripped off. Um, be careful with that because what we're supposed to do is be inclusive as people, telling them that Jesus wants them and that uh, we should not get in the way. Voluntarily and synergy all rolled into one based on the teachings of Jesus Christ the Lamb, not just chase, chasing a popular message of hope or promise or emotional rush, but Revelation says to be careful of these things. I want you to look up later on today, Matthew 24, 4 through 14, if you would look that up later on today. Matthew 24, 4 through 14. It's amazing to see how the disciples changed and how this message was something that really, really they wanted um, us to know. I'll just give you just a snippet, um, but I would like you to look it up and maybe study it a little bit this afternoon or, or sometime this week. But Matthew 24, Verse 4 through 14. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I don't know about you, but over my lifetime, I have met a lot of people that say I am a representative of, of Christ. And then later you find out they're not a representative of Christ at all. They are to confuse you and take you away so that you hate the body of Christ and that you do not like Jesus anymore and they end up totally rejecting the message of Jesus Christ and throwing the Bible away. It is a time period that we live in now that says God is a hateful, vengeful God. God is not. You may have run into a few people that are nasty, vengeful people that portray that they know God, but that's not who God is. A God that sends himself to sacrifice himself for you to make sure that you have a future is not a God that's vengeful and angry. It's a loving God and a love that you cannot understand right now because I'm still trying. And all my life I've been trying to understand that love. So if you look at Matthew 24, I want you to look at that carefully because it shows a bunch of things that you need to look out for. It is time to reassess this time of year. Each person needs to listen to the Holy Spirit like the new church was, and our church as a whole needs to listen to the Holy Spirit as we assess where we are now and where we want to go. You see the parallels with the resurgence of interest in Jesus right now. I don't know if you understood this, but even since I said this last, there's a resurgence of let's get to know Jesus. I even heard on national TV the other night when I'm down in Tennessee expecting the 80-mile-an-hour winds that did come and the tornadoes that were in uh, Missouri and Mississippi. And uh, all of a sudden, the guy on the TV was like, kneels down and be like, Jesus, please be with those people because who else are you going to call out to when the whole town is going to be destroyed in five seconds? And I know it's the South, and I know it's religious and stuff like that, but who is going to call out to Jesus because those people needed saving right then? And who died, and who was ready, and who was not? I don't know. But on national TV, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to get down because I love these people. I want to pray for them. You see, when you have new life, and you are changed, and you want to do something that is for God, you look at people, and they can hit you in the face, and you're like, you know what? God loves you. How many of you are there right now? How many of you can hear the just vile coming from people and they'll rip you just with words one side and down the other and you can sit there and just take it? Jesus did. He did it because he wants us to know that we are saved. We have something called life and we have it abundantly. We have been blessed at this church. We are working as leaders, clearly trying to define what the future looks like. And as we look at the future, it requires all of us to do something. I don't know what. But it requires us all to do something. And as we look at what God wants us to do in a new life, I am amazed that his death, burial, and resurrection are something that is totally central. As we reassess the starvation that many have around us as the word of God has not been preached to them, as we have something to offer, we have something called life and we have it abundantly, but we have been blessed not only as a church but individually. But more important, we know that in the last days, not just terrible things will happen. How many of you have always been taught terrible things will happen in the last days? That's not the focus of our church. The focus of our church is the wonderful things that happen at the end of time. 
that many people will hear the message of Jesus Christ and accept it, and they will be saved. That's the wonderful message, but we, we kind of go negative, and we're like, oh, all these bad things are happening. We, we kind of focus on them, but it says, if you see all these things, praise God, because the next thing, you will see your Savior coming in the clouds. So it's good news that we need to share with other people, not the negativity and we need to make sure that we don't share the negativity with other people and try to exclude people from God, but include them in everything that we do. Matthew 24, verse 14. <clears throat> and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel will be spread or preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The message needs messengers. Those who have new life and have teachings of Jesus, but most importantly, those that allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. If you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you're not listening to Jesus because Jesus said, I'm sending a comforter and he will convict you of things and you will make sure that you listen to him. But working to make sure that people are taught that Jesus is wonderful and that salvation has something called hope. If you want to make it through the tribulation, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. The new life is living with a sense of awe all the time. And you're like, Pastor, that's exhausting. Is it? Is it? Because when God does wonderful things and the miraculous things start to happen, wow, and it's not me who did it. I have prayed be in front of somebody and they have terminal cancer and within a week it's gone. I've also been there praying that the cancer goes away and a week later they're dead. But it's amazing that God all of a sudden shows up sometimes and you're like, I don't understand it. But it's wonderful when it happens. I don't understand it at all. But I know that God says that it is something wonderful that I need to pay attention to and the Holy Spirit needs to change me. Imagine a new life that never grew. Imagine a life that only received care and never learned to take care of themselves. Imagine never developing love and compassion, never learning to give anything to others. Imagine a baby, a child that never grew up. What would it look like if the comfort was there and never received instructions or discipline? The child would die. So as Christians, we need to grow and learn and need to become contributing members of the family and become part of society around us. New life means to learn new things all the time or we will die. The day we die is the day we stop learning. It's time for us to take the next step as a church and become a healthy family, teaching everyone to renew our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit and then going and doing something. Because if we don't do something, we can't practice what we preach. And let me tell you, it's not, some of you are like, oh, pastor, I'm not gonna do an evangelistic meeting. I'm not asking you to. Some of you would die of fright and I would understand because that is something very terrifying to some. But it's just talking to people about what God has done for you and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the interpreting and to do the work. Let me say that again. Talking to people about your experience, the positive experience you have with Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. So today as we close, a new life, the one most important thing that we can remember today is that without the Holy Spirit, that new life doesn't have a chance. So Jesus, in all his wisdom, sent the Holy Spirit so that we may have life and we may have it more abundantly. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll renew our hearts.
renew our minds, that you will send the Holy Spirit to not only convict us of things we're doing wrong, but to praise us when we're doing right. Dear Father, to also show us people that we can share the good news of salvation to. Dear Father, we don't even know how to do that sometimes, but if you bring people to us, please interpret with the Holy Spirit. Have him groan and moan in a way that they can understand, but dear Father, have the Holy Spirit do that because our words are inadequate. But dear Father, I pray that you'll be with us as we look to the future. Dear Father, I thank you for the spring as a reminder that everything is renewed again. And dear Father, as we see the temperatures rise and we see the flowers start to grow and the leaves start to come out and the birds start to return, that you'll give us that same sense of awe and that we can concentrate on you and people can see that and know that we are your followers. In Jesus' name, amen. stand with us.